0: Good morning and welcome to those that are live here with us today. We do hope that you find this Sunday special edition moving this morning. And to those listening by recording, isn't it extraordinary that no great recovery support need to be missed? It's going to be on our archives in a few days. All of these are chosen especially for each of you. And no convention detail nor latest happenings that go unannounced here either. By now, we hope that you have heard that A Vision for You is hosting convention this November, right? The best of the big book will be presented live November 15th through the 17th, 2019 in northern New Jersey. There are only 82 days left until convention. For those that have registered, the waiting is almost over. We are dressing up and going all out for recovery. Are you kidding me? Did you really think that A Vision for You would do anything but that? It wasn't lit and on fire. Shooting for the moon here for recovery. So get your bags packed. Travel day will be here before you know it. And for those that love the excitement of living on the edge and haven't registered, it is time. The convention is a sure thing. There's no further debate. It's happening. And that date for last day of registration is 54 days away. That date is Thursday, October 24th, 2019, the last day for registration, 54 days away. Registration is limited, so that's how come I'm beckoning you, and hotel rooms are also limited. Someone asked me just yesterday, if fees were truly limited, are they really, Melanie? And I was able to say a resounding yes. We filled up last convention, almost a month before, and so I kid you not. People do continue to register yes, um, daily, so just hustle up. If you were thinking about joining literally hundreds and hundreds of your closest family at family reunion, today is the day to close your eyes and just jump. Everything that you need to set this registration and secure it for this fantastic weekend is located on our website at www.avision4u.info, and that's the number four in that lineup. If registering it online is troublesome for you and that is the reason you haven't booked this event, just call. We can help you. Seriously, if you have questions, there are contact numbers to call on that website, too. I even helped a woman last night get everything set for her hotel accommodations. And please, please, if for some unfortunate reason you are not able to attend Convention 2019 after all, And we'll be canceling your room at the Marriott. Stop before you do and contact Amy G from Maryland or Melanie C from Oregon. We need those rooms. Our contact information is on the website. These rooms are at a precious premium now. The pressure is on. The lights are about to go up, so don't miss it. Now, on to our Sunday special edition titled Welcome Back.
1: Thank you, Melanie C. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, visionaries, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August twenty fifth, two thousand and nineteen. The share ID numbers for Friday, August twenty third are the following. For the seven AM Eastern Big Book Study, thirteen thousand three hundred and thirteen. That's one three three one three. And for the ten AM Eastern Big Book Study, thirteen thousand three hundred and fifteen. That's one three. 315. This morning, A Vision for You presents, welcome back. Most of us have come to this program as a result of the constant frustration, defeat, and suffering we experienced as compulsive overeaters. The 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole the 12 steps are designed to bring about a spiritual awakening for the spiritual awakening to occur the 12 steps are worked in the prescribed order one step at a time beginning with the first step each step flows logically from the one before it and builds upon its principles The real advantage of these steps is that they are a specific method for producing a personal transformation and a relationship with power. We are changed in the way we think, the way we feel, and especially the way we behave. The channel of grace in us is cleared. The sunlight of the spirit deep down inside us is allowed to shine up and through us. Joining us today to share his personal experience and extraordinary transformation is Leon B., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Carolina. Leon is dedicated to our 12-step way of life and is a faithful member of Overeaters Anonymous and a vision for you. And it's with great pleasure and appreciation that I welcome Leon B. to the line. Good morning, Leon.
2: Good morning, Leah. Um, May I be heard?
1: I hear you well.
2: Awesome, awesome. <sighs> I'm so thankful for that um, intro. Thank you, uh, Leah, and thank you, Melanie. Um, hello, my name is uh, Leon B., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Simpsonville, South Carolina. I'm calling in this morning from Beltville, Maryland, as I had to come home for um, a death in the family. I'm here for a funeral. Um, but I'm so glad to be of service, and I thank Leah for asking me to share this morning. Um, I came into OA sometime in 2005, but I've only been abstinent through the working of the steps for only 15 months. Um, in my early OA years, I was asked to share at a Sunday face-to-face speaker meeting, and that was pretty much based off of because I looked recovered. I came in overweight, hung around the rooms, lost a bunch of weight, so I must be recovered, right? And, um, and I now come to learn during that time, I was just dieting with food support. I didn't recite one step in that talk. It was all about how I use tools in the meal plan. And no one asked one question about the steps, and, and I'm glad for that. So, Leia has never seen me before, so I, I assume she asked me to share because something in her heart has heard recovery in me, you know, and I trust her heart. My title, Welcome Back, um, came from a conversation I was having with someone while explaining my step experience and my spiritual experience that led um, to my recovery. And so I'm going to tell my journey. Um, This is probably the first time I'm telling my story. in in totality, I'm normally given bits and pieces of it because not given a whole lot of time. So um, I had a significant spiritual experience that took place for me July 1st, 1998. Some would say I found religion that day that was during a 7 p.m. church service where I gave my life to God. There were many events that led up to that day, and I'm sharing this because I want this talk to be complete. I'm not ashamed of my past if it's going to free somebody. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home, the one described right out of the big book. My father was as alcoholic as they come, and my childhood was as normal as ever. But shout out to my mom for making the four of us, my two sisters and one brother, and I'm the youngest. She made us think that rehab centers, Alateen slash Alana meetings, domestic disputes were things that went on in all American households. So I really grew up in no fatherly direction, and I was warring with my mom. My dad stopped drinking a few months before I graduated high school, and I entered the Army shortly after my graduation in 1989. The Army was pretty much a savior for me. So I really didn't know my dad. I mean, I knew nothing. Of Him at all, nothing about his childhood. He was drunk pretty much every day of my life, and the only time he wasn't drunk is when he was um, trying out. When I learned what I learned about manhood, pretty much comes from a childhood friend of mine. Uh, his name was Jojo, and most of my childhood start, stories start out with me and Jojo, who, by the way, he had no father in his life, his dad had walked out on for him, he and his two brothers, um, and his two brothers both went to jail, one still serving a 30-year sentence, the other one did a 15-year sentence. Um, so I'm giving you some backdrop of what it was like for me growing up and what I was surrounded by. So it's uh, September 1989. My dad has been sober for like five months, and I'm off to basic training at Fort Bliss. I'm no longer under the thumb of, of what I thought was this woman trying to to keep me from having fun. I now realize that she what she was going through, she was dealing with my dad's addiction to alcohol and, and trying to raise a strong willed son who was trying to fall into all of what was going on in the eighties that came to, to the D C Merlin and Virginia area. I was born in D C raised in Maryland. During that time in the eighties, crack cocaine was pretty much destroying our neighborhoods. Everybody was either was either selling it or smoking it. It was really bad. Um And I really couldn't get away with things that most of my friends did, and I thank God for that. You know, I tried selling crime in 87, was caught the very first sale to my very first drug addict, and when I was caught by the police, I told them everything they wanted to know. So I knew I was not cut out for the world of crime. And it was only by God's grace and my mama that I made it out to join the military. So... I joined the military expecting to see the world, and you know, I never expected to go to war. My recruiter told me the last war was 20 years ago in Vietnam, and um, think about how many conflicts we've been involved in since 1989 up until 2001, that's, that's the year I got out. So I finished basic training, finished my combat medic training, and I arrived to my duty station in March of 1990. I am brand new, on my own, free from my mama and my drill sergeants, which were like my mama. And my mama was like a drill sergeant. <laughs> and I haven't been to this new new duty station more than 48 hours, haven't even met all of the leadership. i at my first party at this first uh, – I'm an adult free at this party, and I'm handed my first beer at the age of 18. The next thing I know, I'm being arrested for driving while intoxicated. I get a DUI. The next seven years of my life will go in this similar direction, and my life went in a way that I would have never dreamed of. From that point, I'm, like, going through life like a bull in a china shop, which was a common term my mother would say to me. After the DUI, I ended up in the rooms of AA because of Army protocol. Um, Whenever you had an alcoholic incident, you had to go to AA, and I hated AA. And I ended up stripped two ranks. I went in as an E3 PFC, had 45 days extra duty, two-thirds of my pay reduced, and then by the way, you're going to Desert Storm, and I am still looking for that recruiter. Came back from Desert Storm, uh, shut down a club after the biggest bar fight in the small town of Ayr, Massachusetts, which I started. I was maced by the police because I would not come off the top of their police car. Weeks later, I was arrested for getting into a fight with a bouncer, a fight I lost, no doubt. And the only thing that saved me was a loving sergeant that believed in me and put his stripes on the line for me, which was a trend, by the way, throughout my career. people putting their stripes on the line for me. Um I call them my my angels, and two of them have um have since passed um, So moving through this time in service, uh, I get into a fight with a group of uh, guys from special forces that won that fight, in trouble again for drinking and fighting. So I did a government-sponsored geographic, and the Army moved my entire unit to Fort Hood, Texas, where they gave me this speech. They pulled me to the side. They said, this is your chance to start over, Buffalo. Leave the past behind. And within one week, I was arrested for urinating on an ATM machine. They could not believe it. We had been to the post for a little over a week. And then, by the way, you're going to Somalia, still looking for that recruiter. Once returning from Somalia, the guys that put their stripes on the line for me, they they saw something in me I clearly did not see in myself, and they helped me to get into nursing school and licensed practical nursing school. This was right around the time I had my first son with a girl I was using for sex. So I'm in my first few months of nursing school, just had a baby boy, while there, I found out I'm having another child on the way, with the friend of the first girl I was using for sex. Yes, I was having sex with her friend as well. So this entire time, I'm drinking up a storm, having blackouts, all these drunken escapades. It can probably replace all the stories in the back of the big book, by the way. So while in nursing school, I again in trouble drinking. A big fight. Someone was injured badly during the fight, and so we're all nurses. I'm learning how to take care of of retraining we're, we're to become nurses, I feel so bad. I take this guy to the ER and in my drunken state, they ask me my name and I give it to them. So they catch me, I'm in trouble, more extra duty for me. So my second son was born eight months and 19 days after my first son and they are considered a term in my community as ghetto twins. I didn't make that up, I was quite hurt when my son shared this with me. Uh, while in nursing school, I met another woman She was married with a son. She saw something in me. We had an affair. The next thing I know, she's divorced. I now have a one-year-old, a four-month-old, a new wife at the ripe old age of 21, and a stepson. I am just running through life like a bull in a china shop. Of course, the marriage doesn't work. No kids by her. We were divorced, and I met another woman that I married because I was broke from child support and credit card debt and car repossessed and evicted from my apartment. Because I'd rather drink and party than pay my bills, and she was an RN, and I figured she'd be able to take care of me financially. We marry, and now I'm 26, with two toddlers, an ex-wife, a new wife that hates my guts, as I have nothing financially to offer her. And let's throw in there some public intoxication somewhere because I fell asleep at a traffic light after drinking all night at a Mike Tyson fight, and we know how fast those fights were. Again, locked up, my sister, she rescues me. She comes and bails me out. She was another angel. Somehow, is it art or is it God? She ended up at Fort Hood, Texas with me. She was in the Army as well. So we were stationed together most of my military career. So I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to let all that marinate. As you're probably thinking, this guy must be in a dual program. He has to be addicted to alcohol and, and eating. But I am not. It's July 1st, 1998, like I described earlier, and I'm driving down this road. and I'm contemplating the past nine years of my life. These kids out of wedlock, one failed marriage, my current marriage just broken, no car, no home, living with my sister, and I say to myself, there must be more to life than this. How am I making such a mess of my life? You know, one thing my mama always told me, if things get bad, he capital H, he will be there for you. This is right right while I am passing this church that my sister used to force me to go um, to with her on Sunday, some Sundays. I turned in the parking lot, sat in the back of this church, waited for the call to salvation, almost knocked down a little kid. As I made my way down the aisle, I was desperate for something, prayed the prayer, and I was like waiting for some white light experience anything to take over my mind and my body. And I pretty much got nothing. So I attended this place twice a week, place of worship, little by little, this educational variety. I was changing as I was following some of these principles that they were teaching. I stopped drinking instantly, smoking. I smoked cigarettes. It was a little tougher, but I licked it. This, of course, as I tossed a few packs out the window and went back to pick those packs back up. And anyway, I ended up licking tobacco abuse. And then My wife then, at that time, she could see that I was changing. You know, I would pray with her. I mean, tears would be rolling down her eyes because she saw that God was doing something right in front of her eyes with me. But she could not forgive what I had put her through that prior year. And we divorced June 29, 1999, nearly one year after I made that decision to turn my life over to God. I was divorced a second time. With tears in my eyes, you know, I kneeled down in my sister's living room asking God, what's next? I did everything you asked me to do, everything it says in your word about being a husband, and still she left. And God spoke to me then like he speaks to me now. And three actions to take that just came up in my heart. One was to go get my boys and get a better relationship with them. They were four and five at the time. Two, an education because I was never going to be able to care for them or a wife doing what I'm doing currently. And three was get out of the Army because I was wasting time there. I wasn't getting promoted. There was an abundance of LPNs. And mind you, I've been in service 10 years at this point with two more years left on my contract. I did all three things. How I became a doctor is a totally different story. I walked away from 12 years of service, which which is a totally different story. I can do a, a whole special edition on that. Um, I was a highly decorated soldier from those two conflicts that I had been a part of. I I ended up with my boys near me. I met my current wife that same year in 1999 that I was divorced. Married her in June of 2001. So what went wrong? How did I end up a compulsive overeater? Now, keep in mind everything I just shared with you from my days growing up and my time in service. How did I end up a compulsive overeater? I found out I had this disease all the while. I just really didn't see it. Um, those army guys, I have. We are still close to this day. We go on. These are my friends. We go on vacations together. Our kids have grown up together. They know me inside and out. And you would think after all those drunken arrests that I've had, many they have witnessed all the drama do you know what I am remembered for? One of them, their exact words when they hadn't seen me in years, their exact words when we were united was, was you still like to eat? I was like, what? He said, yeah, man, you used to love to eat. Not the fighting, not the womanizing, not the drinking, not the arrest. Do you still like to eat? Hmm. Two weeks ago, I went to my 30th year class reunion. Now, in my mind, I was a great high school baseball player, good enough to get recruited by a junior college before I broke both my wrists playing basketball. And I'm talking to one of my former teammates at this reunion, and he played pro baseball and football. And he tells me, and I quote, man, you sucked in baseball. He said, but you know what you were good for? And I'm like waiting for it. He says, snacks. I always knew I could come to you because you had the best snacks, especially during our away games. And I'm still kind of stuck on the fact that I wasn't a good baseball player. But now, and I I didn't even want to go to this reunion. My great, handsome sponsor, he suggested I attend. He said, you never know what kind of closure closure you'll get. So sitting there blown away that I was not a good baseball player, another girl, she offers me some gum. I politely um, decline, And she's in shock. And she commences to tell me stories of my bubble gum and popping and chewing days how much I used to chew and pop, and how I taught her how to pop gum. And another clay classmate, he just chimes in, says, yeah, man, I used to kill the gum. I had been a compulsive overeater long before I had known it. And since I've been in a program over this past 15 months, I've heard a lot that sort of started uh, that started me thinking about several things in my childhood. One, when I was around five or six, I remember being told I was greedy, as a babysitter, she was, uh, as my babysitter was opening a second or third can of corn. The second time I remember was when I used to work at the Great Cookie. Now, this is a store I make amends to whenever I'm in the mall, as I stole money in cookies for that entire year that I worked there. So, when people are online buying cookies, I wait just before they're getting ready to make their purchase and I pay for it. Um, that's how I make my amends to the Great Cookie. Anyway, so while working at the Great Cookie, we had these one pound buckets that we would. put a a pound of cookies in, and I would take a bucket home and a jumbo milk every single night that I worked, and I would eat and drink the entire thing. Now, I was 110 pounds soaking wet during that time. I have pictures of this. I went from 110 to 160 pounds in that year. The football coach admired my weight gain and wanted me to come back for football. That was the second clue, and that's the second memory of a childhood eating issue. And the last was when I used to sell candy. I was in high school, and I sold candy for a guy whose dad has, had some sort of whatever Costco was back then. He had a hookup where he could can get candy in bulk. And he would break this candy down into $15 packages. It would be Snicker bars and M&Ms and Kit Kats and Nihilators and Bubble Licious. And he would give us these boxes of candy and say, bring me back $15, and the rest is yours. So once you paid the $15, anything over was, was yours. And I remember I would just eat all my candy and give him $15. I was doing this constantly. And then one day he asked me, he said, um, are you selling this candy or are you eating it? And, uh, and I felt like my hand had been caught in a cookie jar. So I had this disease all the while. And I guess you can say the alcoholic home I grew up in set me up for. But as we, we know in these rooms that, that that does not matter. But I can tell you. When I first remember when habit became obsession. So I'm in my first year of medical school, somewhere around 2005 and 2006. And after studying all day and half the night, I'd stop and get gas, go in the gas station and get me a snack. I used to like the the nuts and chocolate mix, and I would get that with a Diet Coke. I would eat that on the drive home. Did this for a while, and I started noticing that I was adding other snacks to the peanut mix, Twix ice cream bars, Snicker ice cream bars, jalapeno chips. And I would be in the middle of studying, and this internal force would be driving me to go get these snacks. I mean, I would have to stop studying, abruptly stop to get up and go get the snack fix. And my wife used to find these wrappers all over the car. She'd pick them up, show them to me, like, what in the world? Is going on with you. Meanwhile, I am on and off diets. I am closely overweight. Now, mind you, I'm in med school. You've heard about this late start I've had in life. I'm 32, one of the oldest people in my school, surrounded by a bunch of 21- and 22-year-olds, and I'm one of the only few of my race in my school, and I'm in the South, and I felt the racism at times. But all these emotions were going through my mind. I had no idea I was dealing with them by eating. So I'm gaining weight. I'm looking for any solution, anything to help me with this horrible weight gain. And, and I'm, I'm the, probably one of the only fat guys in this school. So I'm in my second semester of medical school. We're in pharmacology class. And our instructor was teaching us about the abstinence syndrome. We learn about what alcoholics go through when, they're, when they've been drinking for long periods of time and they suddenly stop. So we're going through the stages, we're talking about the withdrawals. In the pharmacology class, we're learning about drugs that treat the conditions. So we're learning about Antibus, the Loxone, which helps with the cravings. And he, tell, he says in the class, there's no real treatment for alcoholism other than a 12-step program of AA. And he said, yeah, there are 12-step programs for just about anything, gambling, sex, narcotics, food, food. I thought, is this an addiction? I right. have? You know, and remember, I was in anything. Well, I would have tried anything to help with this weight, and, and I didn't, wasn't clear why I was doing all this eating because I had tried all types of diets. So this was around when medical school was teaching um, the classes on laptops. So I'm, like, Googling 12 step programs for food addicts, and OA pops up, same website as today, and I find this local meeting. This is around 2005, 2006 I find a local meeting that's literally two miles from the school, I attend that week. I walk into this meeting, no offense. There's a room full of white women, and in walks the fat black guy who has this inferiority complex. But I couldn't turn back, so I sat, I listened. There was a lot of crying and a lot of saying. I didn't eat over it, but I felt whatever they had wrong with them in that room was not wrong with me. That's how I felt, and I walked out. But a seed was sown in me that I would later come to find out was that that one little thing that I heard that let me know that I had this disease. So since I didn't like what was happening in the meeting, I went back to some controlled eating. Things got completely worse. I was tipping the scales at around 258, 259. I never weighed myself when I got close to 260 because I never wanted to see that. So I'm not sure if I ever hit it, and I'm sure I did. Um, I would be, I was praying on the couch, crying out, I mean, for months. I went to to see my pastor at the time. He told me he didn't know why I was doing what I was doing, but you might want to go back to OA, you know, and I did. And to my surprise, there was one of my professors from medical school, and he had everything that I wanted. I mean, he had some strong sharing. I know now he had some good big book sharing. Um, He had these before and after photos. I mean, he looked great, and I immediately asked him to be my sponsor, and He did. He taught me about the allergy and everything. And now that I look back on it, I I realized that I wasn't ready. The only thing I really wanted at that time was a food plan, whatever he was doing that got him that skinny. And within months, I was skinny as a rail and probably going off the rails in my mind. I was crazy as a bed bug, you know, because I had no recovery. And as the big book says, I only made a beginning, you know. My sponsor relapsed during a Chinese New Year. And I jokingly said, "He and he dropped me. He said, I can't sponsor you. I'm in China, and I'm, I'm eating. And so and I jokingly said to myself, hmm, since I don't have anyone to report my food to anymore, I can eat whatever I want. And uh, as it says in the big book, that, that curious mental phenomenon, that paralleled without sound reasoning, they inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first bite. And mine came. Now, skinny as well, abstinent but not recovered. Not eating. Well, I was eating, but not, not. I thought I was. I thought I was asking So I'm at my cousin's daughter's birthday party. To take my two sons um, to her birthday party. I have no sponsor. I'm not recovered. I'm just dieting with group support, basically. And there's a huge pile of chicken fingers and honey mustard and a sheet cake. And all the kids are outdoors running off their chicken fingers and cake. And suddenly this thought crossed my mind. Sounds familiar, you guys. <laughs> One chicken finger will not hurt me. Then another, and another. We're sure that slice of cake will be okay. And another slice. I had at the time. I had no clue that I was setting off this allergy, and I started a binge of all binges. My cousin came in from that, from the kids I was playing, and he said, "Dang, I didn't know the kids just about finished the, the, all the chicken fingers and the cake." I'm sitting there like, "Yeah," you know, I had nearly demolished it all. And if if I wasn't afraid that he was going to guess it was me, I would have eaten every bit of it. So Owen starts this binge. I'm living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time, and he's in Atlanta. So it's a four-hour drive, and I'm on a four-hour driving binge of Krispy Kreme donuts or everything I hadn't had in months, Krispy Kreme donuts, Oreos, ice cream, chips, fast food, telling myself Monday I'll go back to O.A., I'll seek a sponsor, I'll get back on the plan of eating that was given by my last sponsor, and none of it worked. I was back up to that near 260-pound mark and struggled in and out of the rooms for years. I was so unhappy, contemplating suicide. I used to make this gesture with my hand of putting a gun in my mouth and blowing my brains out. That's why I would never buy a gun during that time, because I was so afraid that I would kill myself. Did I identify with Bill? You bet I did, because Bill said, somehow I had managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. I went in and out of OA for years until I moved to where I currently live in Simpsonville, South Carolina, and I just stopped going after a few years. And why? Because I was not out of ideas. I found this miracle diet that helped me lose nearly 80 pounds. And once I came off that diet, I gained back around 20, but I hovered with just those those extra 20 pounds that I gained, and I started looking for something to keep me at that weight. So I got into the world of exercise. Started training for 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons, and then I discovered the world of triathlon. Took an excellent swimming class, learned how to swim, and I was in a whole new world. I would burn sometimes 2,000 calories in a day, and I was doing that just to justify the big bag of Doritos or Oreos or whatever I would have eaten that day. And man, I thought I discovered gold. I would work out three times a day, 10-mile runs, 1,500-meter swims, cross-train, all in the name of... Triathlon training, miss my kids' events, home late, get up early on the weekend, ride for 30 miles, run for 15 miles, hours on the treadmill, and I could eat whatever I wanted and not gain a pound. And this went on for years. Fast forward, July 11th, 2017. I'm training for a triathlon. It's August, it's around August 2017. That's squad leader, one of my angels, the guy who will put the stripes on the line for me he died had a massive heart attack while driving crashed into a, a tree and i went to the, the funeral in boston and i'm coming back i'm emotional just lost my good army buddy i'm flying back um from the from boston and at the time my family was in orlando i'm going to a conference a medical conference that starts that monday so I flying on the sunday very late my wife was like an hour late picking me up um and we were headed to the conference at a resort in florida in Palm Coast, Florida. We're about 20 minutes out from the resort, and I'm sleeping. I have my legs resting on the dash. The kids are in the back of sleep. My wife is wide awake, driving, listening to some praise and worship music. It's like pitch black on 95 North. And I just remember hearing my wife scream unlike I have ever heard her scream. And I feel like we're in motion, and we're, we're actually rolling. And I have a big Toyota Secola, Sequoia. So we stop, and the car is, ro- is tilted over on its side, and, and my side is down to the ground. And I'm in shock, and I just keep saying, what happened? What happened? And my wife, and you know, she's like, calm down. We've been in an accident. Somebody hit us and, and drove off. And I look in the back seat. My kids are hanging, on upside down and making head gestures to let me know they're okay. And this guy comes over. Out of nowhere, he kneels down to, my, to the side that I'm on. He said, hey, I'm here to help you. And as fast as he got those words out, a car slammed into our vehicle hitting this man, pinning him, pinning his lower torso to our car, and his upper torso separated. And he died instantly. So we went to the ER. We got cleaned up, and, and we arrived at this resort. And I remember as we pull up, this beautiful resort, you know, I don't use abusive language, but I, I had the ethics going on in my brain. I'm about to eat whatever I want. Forget training. My family almost died. Someone did die trying to save us. We arrived to the, to the hotel. Clothes are bloody. I still got glass in my legs. You ER did a poor job of taking care of me anyway. Um, my wife was, she was bruised up. She had a Toyota symbol embedded in her arm. We, um, we get up to the room. Everyone heard about what happened. Apparently at the resort, we got bags of food and baskets of wine and all kinds of stuff. And I just went for it. I went on a bench thinking to myself, once again, I could just go back on my magic 80-pound weight-loss diet and get back to training when I get back. Well, the diet didn't work when I got back, and I couldn't make it to lunch before I was looking for the donuts in the break room. I had gained so much weight in such a short amount of time. Training for triathlons was becoming so difficult. I started buying memberships to other gyms and getting personal trainers and trying these vitamins and these food plans and these meal plans. Nothing was working. I went to one of these personal um, workouts of mine, and I thought in my mind that I could still train like a triathlete, but I had gained 50 pounds in like two months. Um, and so I was on that ab wheel thing, and I and I remember I couldn't go out because my abs was so tight. And when I went out too far, I felt a little rip, and it, it suddenly became very easy to perform this exercise. That that evening, I started urinating blood, and I, I knew what I had done to myself. I put myself in rhabdo, rhabdomylysis, which is trauma to the muscles. And... And so I did my own work up, you know, and I said Well, I'm gonna try treating myself and I gave myself some some fluids and it often says that a, a physician that treats himself as a food for a patient, uh, and my numbers went through the roof, you know, and so they demanded I stop working, go in to get some fluids. And I spent four days getting my kidneys flushed, my liver was damaged. Everyone kept asking, What were you doing? and I was joking Saying, but I was trying to lose 50 pounds in one day, my, my older sons came to see me in the hospital, and said, Dad, you got to do something with your eating and your weight. Meanwhile, OA was the furthest thing from my mind. This was around March 2018, so I'm depressed, and what do I do? I'm back in the gym, still trying to lose weight, still binging. I'm the Jay Walker after after he was shut up in an insane asylum, hoping to mend his weight and what he does, he gets out. What does he do? He gets out runs in front of a fire engine, and breaks his racks. What did I do? Getting out of the hospital, I go work out, and my numbers go right back up. So I can't work out. I can't stop eating. I can't stop gaining weight. I considered the lap band. I mean, I seriously investigated it, but I knew that I would eat right through it. OA was the furthest thing from my mind. I had completely forgotten about OA. Then what happened? So I'm listening on my iPhone. I got my iPods in, my earphones in. And I remember I just sort of flopped back onto the bed. And somehow I hit a podcast from the LAOA group, which I thought I had erased all those podcasts because I was trying to clear up memory on my phone. And this guy comes on, and he says something that I still don't remember what he said to this day, but I, I quickly identified in. And it was like the commercial when you hit yourself on your forehead with the palm of your hand, and you say, oh, I should have had a V8. I said, oh, maybe I should give OA another try. And it's like Harlan says, you must be out of ideas. And it took me 13 years of trying everything. I went to a Saturday meeting, and this, this is a meeting I had been to before in Greenville, South Carolina. I walked in late because I, I was trying to skip the greetings, all you knew, what's your name routine. Uh, a few minutes into the meeting, I'm sitting there listening, and it's like I quickly I ID again, I, I identify in right away. And so it was like those two grinning guys that came to see Fred and what they asked him. I knew that I was a compulsive overeater, and I was licked this time. I get up right in the middle of the meeting, walk out. A girl follows behind me, and she, are you okay? Did we, did we say something wrong Defend you? I said, no, 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 I'll be back. I know that this is where I belong. She gives me the biggest, sweetest hug. I still see this girl today. You know, there was a hug that I needed at that time, and I knew I was right where God wanted me to be. The first meeting that I show up to was that Monday. There's only one person in that room, and this person is new. She's a newcomer. Now, mind you, I had gone to these meetings before, several years back, so I knew where all the literature was. I knew how to run the meeting, so I went and picked the literature up, and I'm, I'm running the meeting. Second meeting, same thing. I show up. I show up later this time, so I'm just just in case, you know. I show up a little bit later, and then this time – There's two people there, and both of them are newcomers. So I went to get the literature again, set up, led the meeting. Is it odd or is it God? I said, okay, God, I get it. This is where you want me to be. So then another regular shows up at that second meeting. She stays after. She talks to me. She tells me about this phone meeting called A Vision for You. Maybe some of you heard of it. She gives me this guy's name and tells me to listen to the doctor's opinion you know, and I asked, "She's sponsoring?" Because I'm ready at this point. She said, "No, but they will announce some available sponsors." So I listened to his talk on Doctor's opinion from Ireland. and I never heard someone talk about my binge foods the way that he did. Kit cats, Oreos. When he said baby Roos, I was hooked. I thought I was the only one that loved baby Roos. He just kept naming all my binge foods. You know, so I'm listening to all of his stuff, and so I call him in on a Friday, announce myself as a newcomer. I, I get I mean, calls from everybody. He was just. A beautiful experience, and and I end up calling in at another meeting. And this uh, this man with this deep, melodious voice, he announces that he's sponsoring men only. You know, I call him, we play phone tag a little, you know, and then he says, "Let's do it." And he said, "Write out all your bench foods, avoid them for forty-eight hours." And that weekend, my kid had a had a Boy Scout trip, and you know what they do on Boy Scout trips? They eat all kind of crap. And, I said, well, I'm just going to buy some snacks for him, you know, the big bag of Doritos, the Oreos, the Nutter Butters, which needless to say, I ate all the entire weekend. Shamefully called him and told him that I didn't get the 48 hours. And he said, well, it is always tomorrow. But tomorrow was April 30th. That was my birthday. Um, and he tells me something that just really just like like a gong went off for me. It really resonated. He says there will always be an excuse to eat. And he was right. So the next day, I woke up, and I prayed, and I asked God to help me. And boy, did he. My staff, they know that I'm a little diva at work. They canceled my afternoon. They sent me to a spa, so I avoided the lunchtime cake cutting. I told my wife, don't buy a cake. Just get me fruit for my birthday, and she did. My son is a chef, and I asked him, I said, make me a meat. Make this vegetable and this non-starchy carb, and he did. And the day went perfect. And so I called my sponsor, and the second day went well. And then I said, I had my 48. And we went at it. Now, this next part is going to go pretty quick. You know, it's going to go quickly. I didn't really know how fast or slow to work the steps. I just did whatever he told me to do. And he would say, if you're ready, a monkey can sponsor you. I read and did whatever he told me to do. And I made the time. But believe me, my life is full. But I made the time. We flew through the book, you know. And we we get to re And I really felt like I had let God down. Because remember, God helped me out of all those situations, you know, and my life went in a totally different direction, but he could not help me with this eating, you know. So I felt like, man, I shouldn't be in this program. People in church, they looked down on me for when I first talked to them about 12 step program. And when I discussed my stepping with a family member, she told me, you know, God wants you to enjoy cake and pie. What do you mean you can't have sugar? You know, you're supposed to have more belief. You're supposed to have more faith. And I just felt really bad. This is where a really good sponsor comes in you know he he slowed down in step three told me some things about the addiction to sugar you know and said maybe you're just seeing God from another side and that was really all I needed took step three was on to four we get to four my sponsor told me he cannot teach four and I I shared this on a a meeting during the week he cannot teach step four any better than Harlan so he had me listen to it and said call me back if you have any trouble I'll teach you so I listened to Harlan as he went through um each column each i mean i just stopped i pressed play pause and i was just writing writing taking notes making sure i understood the headings of each column, You know, of each column and i went to work just as he explained it i wrote it on my porch in like three or four hours i think my sponsor gave me 48 hours to write it told him i was done he told me to give it away find somebody face to face i had a friend that lived down the street told my friend what we were about to do and explained it to him. And for the next three or four hours, I went line for line. You know, he wasn't in recovery, so he thought I was really being hard on myself. And I kept telling him to shut up, please let me get through this. Um, anyway, and so when, we, when I got to that fourth column, when I was going through my step four, I kept seeing why all those marriages, excuse me, it's only two, but why my marriages didn't work, why my current wife kept telling me I'm not happy why nothing in my life hadn't gone right during that time, and things were going to pieces while I was in the food. You know, it, it was it was me. You know, it was this selfishness. It was this self-seeking behavior. I was the cause of all of these resentments. It was like this light went off, and it was lifted right out of me. The obsession was lifted, and I was unblocked by that revelation that I was the cause of my misery. And it was like I heard it inside of me. God said Welcome back, Welcome back. My mission since that time has been to live surrender, to give myself away so God can use me. We went on to six and seven. I made out my my list of step eight and and i was I was doing nine and he was helping me with you know I had to read all of I had to write it out, read it to him, and he would add this little um, thing at the end, my sponsor would say, "Well, just you know, say have you have you hurt have I hurt you in any other way? Um, can you think of anything else I've done, or, or, or what can I do to make things right now?" Well, that last that last little line to these step nine would really rock my world with the, some of the amends I had to make. One was my son. Um, and when I told him, I said, I, "I want to sit down and talk to you about some things that happened," and I explained to him the program I was in. I explained to both of them what I was about to do. And my and my and the second son that was born, he worked, he stands up and says, man, I ain't got time for this. He says, say, there's a whole list of things. I said, no, no, you know, let, let, let's hear it. So he goes through it, and this is typical teenage stuff. You know, why didn't you do this? And, you know, and most of it was his fault. I said nothing. I let him get it out. But then he gets to this Oreo story, and he asked me, why did you beat me for eating your Oreos? And I've told this story before, and I'm telling you, I had nothing to say. I was laying in my bed on a Sunday. All I hear was this ruffling of my Oreo package that I kept in a, in a cabinet outside of my room. And I went to him, grabbed him, threw him on the floor, and said, "You do not touch my Oreos." Why? I have no clue. I apologized, asked his forgiveness, told him I was working on myself. You know, and, the, and my other son, he said, "Dad, I don't have any complaints. The only thing was you didn't hug me enough. That was equally crushing." You know, and in my and my wife, I sat down with her, and she said, "I see you trying. I know you trying. Let's just." Let's just continue to work together, so I went to step 10 and 11, which took the longest, because this is where you live. You know He wanted to make sure I understood how to do a step 10. He wanted to make sure I understood what my morning morning review was going to be, how it paused throughout the day, and what I would do when I retired at night. You know? And he told me, once we get into the chapter working with others, you are to announce yourself as a sponsor. Fear and all, I did it, and within a little over one month, I was recovered in sponsoring. What is it like now? <clears throat> it's an adventure. Leah, am I okay on time? You're great. Am I
3: being- Yep.
2: Okay, good. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm wrapping up. So, mm-hmm. No problem. All right, so what's it like now? It is an adventure. The 12-step way of life for me is an adventure. If you live in surrender, you have no clue what God will have you doing. It, just like it says in how it works, our description of the alcoholics, the chapter two the agnostics, and our personal adventures before and after. What has happened to me after this spiritual experience? What are some of my adventures? There's a quote from one of the stories in the big book that describes me personally right now. It says, for a time, I floated on that pink cloud. Then I cried for a year, raged for another year my feelings returned, and then began to settle down to reasonable size. That's from the chapter because I'm an alcoholic. Because I was on a a pretty cloud pretty much for the first eight months, you know, no problems, weight loss. I'm sharing in meetings, doing service, having this new OA family that I love so greatly. Life is going great. And now that I'm recovered, I'm seeing things clearly for the first time, and I'm noticing a little cold shoulder from my sister-in-law, you know, and then I'm I come to find out. I said some things to her that I still don't remember what I said to this day, but I apparently crushed her and her boyfriend. And she has she she's not married, she has no children, she loves her niece and her nephew. And she she was not staying in my house anymore, she wasn't spending time with them. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Every time I would ask her to stay at the house, she would kinda of say no, give me the cold shoulder. And once I once I found out that I hurt her, I told my sponsor, he said, You need to do you need to get that right. Do a step eight tonight, write it out, do meet um she do a step nine, write it out. We're going to go over it. I did. And God told me, my higher power, that she lives two and a half hours away. what, best time, buy the biggest bouquet of flowers that you can get and take it to her job. And on the way, I was talking to someone else in recovery and told them what I was about to do. I said, oh, give me a call when it's over. You know, this is, this program is beautiful. So I, I walked into her job. I got this big bouquet of flowers. They think I'm some guy trying to date. And I said, no, I'm her brother-in-law. She comes out shocked, you know, that she see me there. And, and I begin to tell her that I was sorry. I was, I'm in a 12-step recovery program. I understand that I hurt you in some way because of something I said. My home is your home. You, I mean, I just went and let it all out. She sat there, and I just saw Now, she's down to like 109 pounds. This is We hurt people in this program. She is skinnier than I have ever seen her. And she said, I am so glad that you said you said that to me. I am so glad. She accepted my apology right away, hugged me. And I told her, I said, if your boyfriend was here, I would apologize to him too. And she said, would you? And I'm like, yeah, but I had no clue that she was getting ready to take me to his house. Let me take a sip. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we, we're pulling up in front of this house. I am scared to death. I said, I, this is an adventure. I said, this guy's about to shoot me. Last time I talked to him, I was apparently very rude. He looks at me. She's talking to him. They are broken up at this point. He invites me in. This is a sixty-something-year-old man. I'm forty-eight, and um, so I'm sitting down. Not that that matters. I'm just letting you know what I'm about to tell you. I, I same thing I told her. Apologized to him. I begged his forgiveness. Told him what I was doing. He looks at me and starts crying. A grown man is crying. He tells me I respect you for for that. Thank you so much. I had hurt this man. This has been like nine months. I had hurt this man. We hurt people. Went home. I felt horrible. Called that person who asked me to call them, and she said, you know, now don't don't get in don't get, in, don't, get in, don't get in um reflection, you know, because you won't be abused. And that just really pecked me up. She gave me a, a nice talk. Now, when I told my sister all that, she, we were two and a half hours away. She was just getting off work. She said, I'm not even going home. I'm getting in the car with you. I'm going to see my niece and nephew. And she said, and I'm staying at your house. And when I brought her home to my sister. I mean, no one knew what I was doing. She walked in, and, and the room just erupted. My wife said, oh, my God, my sister, my, my mother-in-law was happy. Her cousins were over. The kids were, were joyous and free. And I was like, man, this life is beautiful. This life is really beautiful. And so that's just, that's just one, one small area. And so someone else said on this line that you cannot break the Ten Commandments and work this program. So I went to the L.A. birthday party. And, and I remember one of the members got walked away from that birthday party feeling like he needed to be a better son to his mom and went to go visit his mom. My mom moved from where I, where I am currently in Maryland. She moved to Come Live With Me in South Carolina. And as the script says, she was not following, well, she was not following my script, you know, just as the big book said. And it's like we picked up. Remember now, we warred in the 80s. It was boring. And it's like we picked up from 87, and we started warring all over again. You know, and she and I said, "Why did you move down there?" And she said, "Well, I thought I was dying, and I felt like you would be the only one that would take good care of me." You know, and, and she said, and, and, "And I'm saying to myself, something is wrong here. I didn't feel right being mean and warring with my mother." You know, and to anybody, but that side. You know, you can't work this program and talk, you know, talk to your mother that way. I reached out to the, to this brother and I said, "Look, man, this is what's going on," and he gave me some words of wisdom. I cried out on the line at another meeting, "Help! I have mama problems." They turned me on to a person that took me back to my childhood. Right out, did a step four. Right out everything your mother ever did to you. I wrote every single piece of it out. You know, let's do this step four. And that dreaded fourth column came up, but it came up with a twist this time. Not only did she get me to see what I had been at fault, you know, but what other mechanisms was I using, my character assassination. I had been calling my two sisters for over 17 years to run down our mother about what she did or did not do. When we were growing up, I had been telling my older boys stories about their grandmother. I, they had no business hearing, damaging their relationship with their grandmother, withholding my resources from my mother, take, not taking my younger kids to go see her. I mean, I was instantly convicted. We went through five and six, asked God to forgive me, went through seven and eight. I had to, add to start the process of working the steps over in this area. I called my sister and told her, no longer will I be calling to gossip with you about mama. And I feared that my relationship worked. This is, this is the one I was very close to in Texas. I feared that our relationship would change as a result, so, and it has. And we don't talk as much anymore because we built our relationship over reminiscing about how bad our mother treated us. I called my other sister, told her the same. And I've been trying to to make amends with my brother for over nine months now. I mean, by phone, email, texting, anything. I burned so many bridges with him, I completely lost trust with him. And this dates back to a fight we had in 2002. So I sat down with each of my sons as well, asked their forgiveness again. You know, I did it individually, told them what. I, I apologize for interfering with their mom, with their grandmother. And they said, Dad, I'm so proud of you. How you just trying to make so many things right, you know. And so then came then comes the ultimate amends, which was to my mama, and I didn't know that I had been filtering childhood through a diseased mind up until recently. You know, I don't even know what was true for my childhood. But I was. Like, remember, I thought I was a good baseball player. You know, I was having some deep resentments with my mom, but as the big book says, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentments leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. I was very distinct in describing my inappropriate behavior to my mother. When I was done, I apologized to her. I begged her forgiveness. I told her that I would be as lovingly and as dutiful a son as I could possibly be. And so that's one of my ideals as a son. Thank you, Kenji, for helping me with my ideal: is to be a lovingly, dutiful son. And brought so much relief to her. She said, I didn't know what was wrong with you. I couldn't say anything right or do anything right without you yelling at me. And she began to confess her mistakes that she made along the way. Now, I'm, I'm talking, I had so much ill feelings inside, they were gone. The step 10 promises, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, came true. But instantly. And that weekend, I brought the kids over. They just learned how to ride bikes. She's out. She's pushing the kids along with their bike. I'm mowing her lawn. I'm trimming her, I'm trimming her hedges. She came over helped me pick up the clippings. It was like instant, instant paradise. The childhood hurt and anger was gone. And we had been on steady ground since. Now, she still does things to annoy me. But as the big book says, you got to catch this one of my. This, I live by this stuff. Real tolerance. It, it doesn't just say tolerance, it says real tolerance. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and respect for their opinions are attitudes which make us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. I'm speaking on real, this is real tolerance and people's shortcomings and viewpoints. And as I say that, that brother that would not talk to me, while I was home for my 30th class reunion two weeks ago, I was sitting with my, with, with my niece, his daughter. I invited him to lunch. He Take he her back, enjoy your time with your uncle. Wouldn't talk to me. And the kid's been watching us fight, brothers and sisters, for years. She told me she was tired of this. She's been newly diagnosed with lupus. And I knew he was coming down to see my mother the following weekend, last weekend. Now, I'm closing with this. So he And he wants to meet on his terms. Immediately, I say to myself, if, if if he didn't want to meet when I want to meet, then I I don't want to meet. And immediately, I'm like, you are not in charge of your of your life. <laughs> and so in a, in a, in internally, I was like, he better not call me to meet because since he didn't want to meet with me, I'm not going to meet with him. But as the big book says, just to the extent that we do what we think he wants us to do. And I know that I wanted to go to any length. And lo and behold, he does. He calls me out of the blue. We hadn't talked in months. And invites invite me over to come sit and have dinner. And he has a pastor friend with him. My brother is a chaplain. So I show up. The chaplain's sitting there. And and, and, and they start talking. And then my mom sits down. You know, everyone's talking. And they bring up all the stuff about my dad. And then my mom joins in. And, and, they, and the whole time in my mind, guys, I'm saying shortcomings and viewpoint is all I keep saying to myself. Respect for other people's opinion. The conversation swings my way. Well, how, how do you feel about what we just said? I just pause. And I said, let's let's pray. And we all held hands. I said, one of my favorite songs, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. And I finished the prayer. Immediately, the guy that my brother brought with him, this pastor, he says, get up, let's walk. And he said, it was just my brother and I. So we leave my mom's house. He turns to me and he says, you're a calm, calm, cool, collected kind of guy. And I'm cracking up on the inside because I'm like jumping and turning on the inside. And he jokingly turned to my brother and says, and you just like to run your mouth too much. And they started laughing. So he asked me, he said, say what's on your heart. And I said, I've been trying to get you step nine off for like eight months. So I get it all out. I even went back to the 17-year fight we had. I went back to what started it. I asked his forgiveness. I explained my part and what I saw was wrong 17 years ago. And, and, and my brother, I could see that he wanted that apology. From 17 years ago, this had been hurting him. And I didn't even see it until I got this program. Once I said, let me see what I could have done different during that 17 year ago argument. And I saw it right away. And I asked his forgiveness. And my brother got ready to um, start bringing up more stuff. The clergyman stopped and said, did you hear, your brother ask you for forgiveness? And then my brother said, i forgive you. We hugged. We proceeded to walk and talk. And I felt like the world was off my shoulder. Leah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm closing with this. We had a gratitude meeting last Sunday. And I'm in my usual place of worship. Last Sunday, my brother, he's down. We, we have just made amends with each other. My brother is sitting on the front row with his wife and that pastor there in front of me. My mom is behind me. She was a singer in church, and she's singing away. My wife is on the right, and my four kids are on the left. And we're all worshiping and, 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 and praying and singing. And I open my eyes and notice how I am in the middle of a circle of family that I have made amends to. And this overwhelming feeling comes over me of gratitude to God in this program because this program helped me to make peace with them in a way I have never been able to before. And it is the results of these 12 steps helping me to get a better understanding of the God I thought I knew. And now I know him even better. I pass it then.
1: Leon, thank you so much for sharing your miraculous story of transformation with all of us this morning. Thanks for giving such a vivid and detailed account of your descent into the mayhem of compulsive overeating and the inspiring and uplifting implementation of the of the work that you did to complete your recovery. Wow, powerful, powerful. Thank you very much. Share ID for today's presentation, 13,318. That's 13318. Leon's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. If you have a question for Leon, you can press star 1 to unmute, please, and give me your Name, including the first letter of your last name. Naomi B. Tina S. Naomi B. Tina S. Lee H. Lee H. Irene B. Eileen B. Anyone else in this group? Star 1 to unmute. Roz, Roz G. Roz G. And I heard... Did I hear a Kathy? Yes. Kathy, last initial, please. W. W. And was there an Irene as well? Okay.
4: That's right. Irene B.
1: Irene B. Okay, this is a good group to start with. Naomi B., Tina S. Lee H., Eileen B., Roz G., Kathy W., and Irene B. Okay. No, Eileen just Irene. Okay, excellent. So, Naomi B., go ahead with your question.
5: Hi, can you hear me okay, Leia. I hear you well. Thank you, thank you. Leon, oh, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here. I, I've I've heard you share before, but it just it never, ever gets old. Good morning, my friend. I have a question for you. Um, what was resonating with me is a relationship with a brother. I, too, have a brother, which I speak of loosely as far as the word brother goes we were raised in the same house um he hates me he hates me i don't hate him i love him and um i have tried on numerous times to um reunite with him and it just fell to death here um i pray for him and my question is what else can i do I mean, he's. I just live in a suburb of Philadelphia. He just lives in Philly. He's in contact with one of my other brothers. I. I what do I do? Besides, like I said, love him and pray for him. Any suggestions would be welcomed.
2: No, oh, that's a that's a great question, and I'm still figuring that out myself. As he and I just um, just made up. Like I said, it was a 17 year argument. He is 10 years older than me. He left um, the home when I was very young. Um, there's a bit of je- jealousy and sibling rivalry between the two of us that my m- mom has, has, has fueled, and he, even though we 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 sort of we, we did make up, and he, he and he said he forgave me. You know, I've texted him because my mom she turned 75, and I want to have a big party for her, and and I wanted his input, and I said, look, I'm I want to sit down and brainstorm some things with you. This was Tuesday, and I have not heard one thing from him. So he's gone on to be just like he was before, just completely ignoring me. But I don't care. I mean, because I have cleaned my side of the street. I would love for us to have a great relationship. But if I dwell on that, that's going to bring up, well, he's not answering my text message. He won't talk to me. That's going to put me right back in that cycle of, of, of resentment. And I just pray that resentment prayer, for him, for him to have all the things that I would want, all the blessings that I would want. And that really has helped my heart. And that's really helped me to see him, I mean, really as a, as a sick person sometimes, you know, because who, who would not want to love their brother or have a relationship with their brother? I'm a pretty nice guy, too. Anyway, but um, so, no, I mean, real, real tolerance, real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints. You know, our constant thought of others. It, this is what has to be important to us. That keeps us from going back into the food. That keeps us from, from spiraling back into this disease. And I think as long as you've done everything that you could to clean your side of the street, you've gone to every, you've gone to any length to make it right with him. You're done. Your job is done. The Thank only thing you, you do now is is give it, is give it to your higher power, and just let him, let he or she, whatever your higher power is, fix it.
5: Okay, thank you, my yeah. friend.
2: God bless yeah. you. Thank you.
1: God bless you. Thanks, Naomi. Tina S, you're up. Star one to unmute Tina S.
6: Oh, thanks so much, Leah. I was unmuting I didn't know if you called me. This is Tina S, recovered compulsive eater, anorexic in uh, Florida. Wow, Leon. Thanks so much. You know, so grateful to share what you were like, what happened to you, and what you're like today. I, I uh, just was so. Uh Involved in your in your in your in your story, and um, so grateful that the solution is the same, Um, and grateful that you're one among many on this line, which is that that are recovered and and share the message of uh, recovery. My question is, um, you know, I was so involved in listening to what you were saying, your the uh, amends that you made to your uh, sister in law. Was she someone that was not on your original four-step and you did not know? And then when you realized that, you know, she wasn't coming around or that you might have uh, caused some harm, that then you picked it up later? Because uh, mm. I missed all that, but the the yeah. outcome was phenomenal. You know, right. that we just go back and, we, you know, we look at our own stuff. We are we selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened. If you could just, you know, let me know how that came about because I know that I've had, you know, I, I don't think that we were a one and done on the fourth
2: for mm-hmm. sure. But no. how did that come about? I'm telling you, that was, I, I didn't go into a whole lot of detail with that, but that was the most beautiful, well, one of the most beautiful step nines that I, I have done. I love my sister dearly she has been taking care of me since i was having all those debacles in the military 1993 1994 and she and i were very close and she helped me during those times with my kids we were very close and when when we would discuss our mother it was always in a negative tone and we had done that for many many years so when i when i when i sat down with the, this this member a way that helped me, she said, what are you doing? Like, how are you feeding this, you, your side of it? Like, I can't remember her exact words, but she helped me to see that I was feeling this by discussing things with my sister that helped me, that made me feel good, you know? And um, and, and she said, you're going to have to make that right. And I did. And I, I wrote out my, my step nine to her and I, I apologized to her. I asked her forgiveness, you know, and I told her I, I no longer wanted to 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 gossip about our mother. I wanted to be a loving son to my to, to mama, and I and I told her that you know, yes, we we will discuss her health, but I'm not no longer going to sit on the line and discuss about anything that's happening between she and I. And she cried. She said, "I want to be a better daughter. I don't like what we're doing either, you know." And I was very afraid that our relationship would change because that's all we ever talked about was mama and what she was doing and what she did to us. And it has changed because we don't talk as much anymore, and it is okay. But I can see her slowly but surely is causing her to make a turn and to look at my mother differently. So that's how that that ended up. And even my sister Merlin I said, uh, lives up here in Merlin, I told her the same thing. She and I aren't as close, but I thought I wouldn't be gossiping anymore, you know, because I was damaging their relationship with their mother by bringing up every little thing that she was doing to me. It was so beautiful, and our family is still trying to get back. And I, like I said, my dad was a, was a bad alcoholic, and my mother just was really fighting to keep him from dying, and she really couldn't give us the attention that we needed. All four of us turned out great, you know, as far as work and career and things and such. But we all have issues from that, and we're and I'm glad that I'm the one that God decided to strike down with not strike, but I'm glad I'm the one that I have this disease because I'm able to to look at things differently in life. And I so appreciate my father and, and what he went through now, learning about alcoholism. He eventually died he went back to drinking. You know? And so we never got closure from him. So we're still trying to put those pieces back together. And I'm thankful that I'm, I'm the one that I can sit down and, and see things differently. So I hope that answers the, the, your the question.
1: Thank you, Tina S. Lee H., star one, non mute. <clears throat>
5: Hi. Thank you so much. Leon B., this was an amazing share, and I just appreciate your honesty. And just I think the thing that um, I want to ask you about, um, I'm struggling with jumping into sponsoring. And I want to ask you, how has sponsoring helped to further your recovery? Because it sounds like it has. So I would love for you to expand on that.
2: Oh wow! Oh my God, that's a an awesome question. Kim G messed me up <laughs> with the statement. She, t- she said something about getting hits off a of sponsor, uh, off a of sponsee. Not that I do that. I do. I, I sponsor as hard as I can, and um, I, I can't take on too many. I have I have three slots, I have three sponsees. They, I love sponsoring. Um, I learned. I was very afraid in the beginning. I kept telling my, my sponsor, I don't want to mess anybody up. He's like, you know, look at you. If, if you're ready, to, if you're ready to be sponsored, a monkey can sponsor you. You know, me. you can't mess anybody up. Just and he helped me along the way because half the assignments he gave me, I didn't even. I wrote some of them down. I forgot most of them, but he's helped me along the way. Um, but going through, you you have to help. You have to give this away to keep it. That's what the big book said. You cannot be afraid. The blessings that I receive from my, from my sponsees challenging me with questions during the reading again, I, I missed so much. I guess because my mind was so clouded the first time I went through the big book. Going through it slowly with a, with a sponsee, because I have some sponsees that uh, I go line for line, and some they, they go through it on their own just like I did. But going through it again, it really helps. Me, it really. When all else fails, it really does help to work with another person. If you are not sponsoring, I can't tell you some of the stories, some of the blessings to watch these people grow up and grow up in this program to to get things right with loved ones. One of my sponsors, she was describing a step nine she did. I was in tears. She didn't know it. I was in tears listening to her of how these steps work. And, and, I, and I get to give this program away. You know, I owe. That, that's what the great historian, when I called to thank him for, he said, you owe. Give it away. What's been given unto you? Who am I to hold this gift? We're, we're doing such a disservice by not giving it away. And I'm for. When people call me, I feel awful saying, I'm sorry, I can't sponsor you. But I say, if you don't find anybody, I will make a spot for you. And I am extremely busy. You know, I see patients throughout the day. Lunchtime, I got meetings. After work, the kids got things to do. I tell my wife, I have an hour of power that I need to be completely devoted to talking to my sponsor and, and talking with my sponsees. You, 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 it's, a, it's a gift of this program. You, you must do, and, and you must give it away in order to keep it. Uh, I hope uh, that answers your question.
1: Thank you, Lee H., for your question. Irene B, you're up. Star one to unmute.
3: Thank
4: you so much.
1: Mhm.
4: And this is Irene B, uh, recovering bulimic from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thank you, Leanne, so, so very much for that amazing story that you shared with such clarity. I am sitting here. I am not an envious person for the most part, but I was just in awe of the clarity of your story. I I thank you so much, and it it fed my spirit, and it helped me see things that I needed to see for myself. So um, you said that you have three sponsees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you also said that you were cleared a sponsor after you finished the 12th step. So um, I just wondered if you could, I don't know, expand on, on how that decision came about. Is that a a rule of thumb that you don't sponsor until you finish the 12th step or was it just you and your sponsor deciding that's the path you needed to go
2: um well you you shouldn't sponsor until you've gone through the steps and you've had a, a spiritual experience but um his he and i talked and discussed and he said after we get into reading about step 12 and we probably read maybe two or three or three paragraphs and he said it's, it's time for you to, to sponsor it's time for you to announce um i don't, I don't know if that if that's a set rule um but just from the little experience that i have in this program you probably shouldn't try to give away something that you don't have you know and if you and if you don't have the experience of working these 12 steps you know if you haven't done a step four, if you haven't given away you know your fifth step if you haven't done six and seven and asking god to remove these character of defect you haven't made out that list if you haven't gone to each of your um uh, people that you that, that you've wronged to make right if you haven't learned about how to do a correct step 10 if you haven't you don't understand the the morning devotion to pausing throughout the day and then you're at nighttime review how can you teach that to anybody you know and so I, you and if you haven't had a spiritual recovery sufficient enough to relieve the obsession so you're not eating. No, you I, this is just my personal understanding, a personal belief that you probably, you know, sh- should not be sponsored. Thank you, sure Leon. People, I'm sure some people on this line can't correct me if, if I'm if I'm wrong. I appreciate your answer. Beautiful. Thank,
4: Thank you. you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for the question, Irene B. And we'll move on now to Roz G, Roz, Star One uh, Unmute.:
7: Hi, Leon. This is Roz G.: Hello, Roz.: And hi, and you know, I want to say this: I got to meet you at the conference, and that's right.: I, And what story you told, I would have never pictured you in that kind of life, and that's what the step work has done to you. Oh my God. But my question is. Because you're a, a, just a graceful and beautiful and amazing person. So um, anyway, my question is, is, I totally identify with the family thing. Okay, I think Naomi asked about it, but I've had a, oh, my God, years of deep resentment on my eldest sister. And trust me, I've tried to work on it, and I have lots of work on my sister. It's still a nagging deep resentment. I still, pray the, I still pray the prayer with her, the resentment prayer. But I would like to ask you, you said something about doing the 12 steps on that. And could you repeat or elaborate on the method that you did? And I will pass sure. it that. Thank you.
2: Sure, sure. Um, I was on a, a, another um, um, OA meeting on the phone, and I just, like, cried out and said, hey, I'm having mama issues. That's how desperate you can be in this program, and you will seek the help you need. And I've heard on the, on the, the eight, 8 o'clock meeting, people will just call out, say, I'm struggling, and someone will get your number and call you. And I said, I'm having mama issues. You know, can somebody help me in this area? Because I believe that you – I believe, like Holland says, you, you cannot um, work this program and break the Ten Commandments. You cannot be mean to your mother. And so, um, a, a per, I, someone gave me a number. Um, I called this person that's very experienced in in OA, um, and and she, and she took she she took me through the she took me through the steps, you know. And she said we we need to you know this is the area that your power is in, and you, and we need to you know to get it out on paper. And she just jumped right into step four. She said write out it, it's your mom in the first column everything that she's ever done to you. How did it make you feel, no, write her name, write everything she's done to you, how did it make you feel? And then she tweaked the fourth column in a way I still don't even know where she got this from, but she tweaked it in such a way, not only did I see where I, where I was at fault, but I could see how I was, you know, manipulating other people to help support the this resentment that I had had towards her over the year. and it was a revelation all over again. And so and when we went through, you know, five and six, I, I gave it away to her. You know, I told her everything. And, and, um, and she was pretty tough with me. You know, and she said, why does a grown man need to have the apology of his mother? You know, and she helped me to understand that I, I was emotionally still six year. What part of the six-year-old mind are you coming from right now? What part of the 16-year-old in you is, is responding to your mother this way? I mean, I have been in counseling for years, even counseling with my mother when she moved down here, paid all this money, none of it worked this This woman helped me through this she she I wrote out every step step nine, sent it to her she the one for my mother she I wrote it like six times because she's like "You're going to destroy her if you put this down, you know so you have to work with someone that's experienced when I finally got it perfectly, when I finally wrote what I did, when it was perfect, she said, "Go for it, Leon." I went, sat down with my mother, and I, and I am telling you, my mom, I said all the right things because she thought she was crazy. She didn't realize that she thought she had did something to me. She, the, this, this person helped me. She said, with your sons, don't do it with the two of them together separate them, talk to them individually. Oh, that was the most beautiful thing because they both had a different spin on it of how they felt growing up of how I interacted with with my mom. They both had a different spin. And so, yeah, I mean, you have to work with somebody that's experienced. I'm sorry. I mean, this this person is a specialist. She must be from Mars or something because I, I still don't understand how she was able to pull that out of me. And she was able to help something that's been, that's been brewing in me for decades. And I'm telling you, my mom and I – now, my mother hasn't changed a bit. I have. My perception of her has changed. My tolerance is – and this is not even about tolerating her anymore. I mean, this is about lovingly wanting to care for my mother. And she's been rude to me. She's been rude to my wife since I've made this a man. And I'm just like, well, okay, this is who she is, I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to change her. But to answer your question, yes. I mean, you can go back and, and in detail and use these steps on anything that you're still struggling with. I was powerless, over raging against my mother. I'm a rager, and she helped me to 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 do the steps over that part of my of my character defect. I'm just waiting for the next thing. Right, I have no idea what's coming next.
1: Thanks, Roz, thank you, G. Leon. Okay, mm-hmm.
8: thank you.
1: Thanks for the question, Kathy W. Your turn with a question.
8: Hi, uh, this is Cassie
1: W., um reader in Denver, Colorado. Um, first, thank you so much for your share. Um, I found a lot that I could relate to this morning. Um, my question is, uh, I think I heard you talking about your first like experience or interpretation of an OA meeting of being full of like white people talking about not finding stuff to eat over. And I, I don't know what it's like now, like in your region or your meetings, but I also, and I also like take into account that the big book says that this disease doesn't discriminate against like who it chooses to affect, you know, black, white, pink, purple, whatever, like it affects us and it affects us all the same. Um, My question is, do you ever find it a challenge to be one of few um, people of color, African-American in the rooms?
2: Uh, No, and I don't care, you know, and and, and not only am I the only African-American, but I'm the only male sometimes, I do not care. You know, and I and I hope I'm not offending anyone that's um that's that's of my race. This disease knows no boundaries. No class, no class, no financial education, color, gender. It knows it does not care who you are. It will rip you apart and kill you. And so I, I was at the point of desperation. The first time it was a little intimidating, but over thirteen years I, I walk anywhere. I go to meetings where I wanted to go to meetings while I was here in Maryland. I go to meetings wherever. If I'm on vacation, I, I've been to meetings in South in, in, in the, the, the Southern part of South Carolina down in Charleston and, and Hilton Head and um, and, uh, and I've got the other place I went. I walk right in those meetings. And again, it is all white women, which I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? These are my peeps, you know, and I'm such an emotional guy. I'm very in touch with my emotions. It. I fit right in, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that, that, that women are full of emotions, but I have no problem fitting in. I don't care. I will help whoever, regardless of who you are, what, what class, or color, uh, gender, or or this this disease does not care. It don't. It doesn't care who you are, you know. And so we, I'm I'm totally beyond that, you know. And I I would like now is this disease. It is probably running rampant through my community. It is very difficult to even mention something like twelve steps, you know, because in, in my profession, I do share with some people as I'm led to, if they're a patient of mine. Maybe you have an eating problem. This is what I've done, and it took a long time for me to come to that to that place where I could share that I am in a twelve-step program, and I do. And look at me like I'm crazy, you know. It, it took my culture a long time to to come around to mental health. Issues. It's such a stigma in our community to admit that you you have depression. So no, I um I, I don't I don't have a problem with it at all. Hope that answers your question.
1: Thanks, Kathy W. All right. This is a final invitation for questions. If you have a question for Leon Star One to mute, I need your name. Madam. M.
8: Christina L. Christina. L. Abby
4: B. Abby B.
8: Abby B.
1: Anyone else? Go once. Marilyn T. Marilyn T. Twice. Three times. Star One, if you want to ask a question, give me your name. Lucy B. Lisa. Lisa, got it.
4: Kathy
0: Gilpin. And Lara. Okay, perfect. Everybody. everybody, Leslie M.
1: Leslie M. Okay. Everybody mute except for Matt M., please.
7: Thanks. Go ahead, Matt. Thank you, Leah. Leon, thank you very much for your story. It really resonated with me. I've told to you a couple times before, but I try to deal with resentments against myself because I'm struggling with relapse right now, and I think I'm getting stuck in the mire of this disease, and I'm trying to get myself out of it. I know I can't do it on my own. I'm struggling with isolation. So how do you deal with resentments against yourself when you're struggling with the disease?
2: You got to work the steps. I mean, you once you get into the steps, you get out of yourself, and for me, I I I love to isolate. Even now, I can go to the movies by myself, and I'm perfectly happy. I don't know what what's going on with that, but um, but once you, I don't know. I mean, if you work the steps, I just feel like these steps will put you in touch, just like it says, with the power greater than you that that can solve your your problem. Once you get into these steps. Step four was like the the key to unlock the door for me once I started getting these things out on paper, what was eating me, what was eating at me what what I was brewing over, what kept popping up in my mind it is something very therapeutic about getting all of that out on paper, and it 's even more it's, it was such a revelation to see that I had been. The cause, and you you would think with all the bad relationships and mistakes I made, I would have known that I'm I'm selfish and self-seeking. But, I mean, I guess selfish people can't see that that they're selfish. Once I got it on paper and I saw that, that really changed my whole outlook on life because I felt like since I made this mess, I can clean this mess up. And the steps are going to show me, well, I didn't know at the time, but the, the steps will show you how to do it. And once you complete that step four, and you give that thing away, you admit it to yourself, you admit it to God, you admit it to someone else, that takes, that takes you to a whole other level of getting out of yourself. Then you can come to the part where you can be ready to say, take this selfishness away, take these resentments away, take these feelings away, and then believe that your higher power will, will do it. And then once you put in the action, again, once you put it on paper who you've heard and you make amends, you're getting out of yourself. You won't have time to relapse. I know for me, I, I couldn't think about relapse anymore. Because, not that I don't. You're going get me wrong for today. But at that time, it was such a revelation that I had destroyed my life and that I could fix it. I said, I can fix it. And these steps were showing me how to fix it. That got me completely out of myself. So if I had to answer that question, I would tell you, get, in, get a good sponsor. Someone that knows this big book that can take you through it, get get some abstinence under your belt. For me, it was 48 hours of staying away from my binge foods, and then get get somebody that can get you into that doctor's opinion. And I also like listening to the to the podcast. You get somebody who's taught on the big book. Harlan, he's taught on the big book. Kim G, she's taught on the big book. Ruth M, she I mean, and I just go through those. I did nothing. I immersed myself in program. I woke up, I listened, I went to bed, I listened to the program, I in the car, I stopped watching the news, I stopped looking at sports. I'm not, this is for me. I'm not saying everyone has to do this. I immersed myself in this program, and I surrounded myself with people that was, that was like-minded. And, that, and, and that's how I was able to get out of self. I hope that answers your question.
1: Thank you, Matt. Christina L., your turn. Star one, unmute.
8: Good morning. This is Christina L. Um, Leon, thanks so much for your your share. Oh, my gosh. I was just so moved by it. Um, I've heard bits and pieces of it before, but hearing it all together is just totally different. Um, My question, I actually have two questions, and I hope that's okay. If not, then just pick one, and maybe I can get you afterwards. But um, when you were talking about um, that people in church look down on you because you were in a 12-step program, I was just wondering if that's changed now. And then my second question is um, you said that um, that you spent the most amount of time on the 10th and 11th step, but yeah. it only took you like a month to get through the steps. How long did you spend there, and how do you do your 10th steps? Like I know you said that you're a doctor, I think. So how do you do them when things come up through the day?
2: All right. So um, to answer the the first question, which I got stuck on the second question, so I forgot your first question. <laughs> what was your first question again? The the first
8: question was um, people in church look down on you
2: because you oh, yeah, of, yeah. You're in a well, program. Right, right, right. Okay, so uh, how it's changed now, and this is how it's changed, because I, I actually teach in, in my in My church. my. My pastor, he comes up to me and he says, "I don't know what has happened to you. I don't know what is different in you, but keep chasing whatever you're chasing because it has totally changed you." And, and I, I wasn't a bad person, but he could tell the the passion and and the depth of where I come from now. I, and I'm not a you know a, I haven't gone to seminary or anything. I just teach Bible study at the time, and and he can see that there has been a huge change in me. Does he know I'm in twelve step? No. no. Because I I met so much negativity in the beginning that I don't I haven't I have not shared it. I haven't liked and I know people that have stood from the pulpit and said I am in compulsive overheater and I'm in a twelve step program. And so they would be able to to more tell you about their experience. For me, I haven't I haven't gone in that direction. As a physician, I do I have shared with some of my patients and I had to share with my assistant um, that I was in, in a 12-step program because she didn't understand why I was gaining so much weight up and down as well. So that's how in the, in the church. As far as working the steps, um, we did – my sponsor took me through a chapter a day. So he said, read the doctor's opinion. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. He said, read um, Bill's story. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. It was like a chapter a, a day. He gave me the assignment every single day. And then when, when we got up to, to work in step four, he only gave me two days. You know and i was done i did step five that night you know six and seven we did the next day eight and nine we were we were i mean we were just rolling probably in the first two weeks uh, i was at step 10. he said all right now we're going to slow down because i need you to understand this and so we when we went through step 10 i think we went through it maybe six times we read the whole thing and He had me look for different different words, different phrases, write down all the musts, write down all the prayers, write down all the promises. Somewhere in there, we would do the nine-step promises, and he would say, now do an inventory and see if you're from zero to to 100 is this promise coming true in your life. We did the same thing for the step 10 promises, and we did step 11. He said, you're going to write out what you do in the morning you are going to write out how you're going to stop throughout the day and what you're going to do. And you're going to write out what you're going to do when you, when you retire at night. And um, it was really when I went to a conference in Colorado, shout out to the girls in Colorado, Um, and Kim G was teaching about, you know, carrying a card with you. Harden like to say you can go to any cathedral. They have them everywhere to call bathrooms. And when something comes up, you know, you can go in there and you can do a step ten. And Kim, Kim G even said, she said, take a, a two by four or a four by four card and write out, you know, you know, write out, take the take a temperature and see, um, are you having any resentments? Are you having any fear? You know, are, are you having any 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 kind of um uh, thoughts that are, you know, that you know? She said because by nine, for me by nine o'clock, I could be thinking about a thousand things. So, so that has helped me to say, okay, I and I can always catch you know, where where I've done wrong. You know, and I and that that can get me right back on track. Now when I have to do a step ten, I mean I'm I'm recovered enough and I think I have a relationship with God enough and and people that have heard me do a step ten or I've called out to them, they know they know Leon going through some issues and they can put me right back. They can say, Okay, who's not following your script? You know, all right, and you know where's the fear? Where's the resentment? And they can they can catch me, get me all right through it. Now where's your part? You know, and then they'll they'll have me pray and give it over to God. They say, Leon, do you need to make an amends to anyone? Have you heard anyone? I'm like, no. All right, hang up the phone, turn your attention to help someone else. Call somebody right away. And I've had people that have done it. I have a God squad that I that I keep um, that I keep with me. So um, yes, we we worked the steps rather quickly. Um, we did slow down for ten and eleven because we wanted to make sure this is where you live, and so you have to understand it. And um, that's what we did and it worked for me, and it works for my sponsor.
8: Thanks so
1: much. Uh Excellent. Thank you, Christina L. Abby B., you're up.
0: Hi, thank you. Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Okay, good. Bluetooth. Thank you very much, Leon, especially talking about your long, long, old resentments towards your mom and working through that. And I have some hopes for myself with regard to ongoing resentment with my father. Um, that keeps me being re, rekindled. Anyway, my question, um, I first, earlier I was thinking about asking you about your daily prayer, me, prayer and meditation life. and I hear more of how it's connected to your step 10, 10, 10, 11 twelve kind of process, but the process. but can you just talk about you know what's on that card and uh, the prayer? Prayer life, if you're if you're willing, and also perhaps how you've been able maybe have been able to integrate that with your religious life. All right, without getting into religion, without getting into religion, of course.
2: Yes, yes, I I, I totally get it. Um, So my, and I I read other books on recovery, but the the, but the big book is the book that that guides me in, in in my in my meditation. Um, I have learned so much from listening to this Sunday morning special edition, and, and Larry K. really helped me about how to start today because I really complicated Step 11. My, my Step 11 grew. Oh, my God. I would just add all these things to it where it became difficult to do my my morning hello, God, because I would have to go through this ritual. Um, but I'm very thankful. You know, he, he talked about doing just a three-minute meditation, and I do that. I, and for some reason, I like doing it in front of my fireplace. Even in the summertime, I cut it on and just sit there. And I sit there for three minutes. You know, I clear my mind. And, and then I, <clears throat> I always say the third step prayer before I even get out of the bed. Um, but I, I go and I sit. I do my meditation. And then and then there are things that, that I read, um, um, the OA uh, daily um, I forgot the name before today. I'll read that. Um, I like to read things I like Emmett Fox has a daily that's outside program stuff, but he has a daily reader. I'll read through that and how I integrate my personal faith is, you know, I'm not just praying prayers of, of the big book or, or praying the way that the big book says or asking for direction, of course, but I'm like really praying, you know, I'm like, God help me with with this area. I'm literally, I mean I'm spending time with God, I'm praying for my children um, I'm seeking direction in areas of of my life and and throughout the day, I do stop when something is is going on. It's just amazing what this program can do because I mean sometimes i forget I forget what it says about pausing I forget about what it says about when you're in doubt um you know or you have it, have, an, have an indecision, but when you really stop to do that okay i'm I'm really having some anxiety right now, and I don't know why and then on that card, it's just resentment, fears. You know, uh right now I'm blanking on the other two. I'm so full of adrenaline, but it's those, it's it's those four. And I'm like, okay, what 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 am I turning over? You know, who's not following my script, or what am I afraid? of? Most of mine is fear, because now that I'm not in the food, a lot has has opened up to me as far as work, and I'm finding myself. In meetings and in levels that I would have never dreamed of being on the boards and things and such. These are really a lot of blessings that have come my way. So a lot of mine is fears, you know, but then I, I have the fear prayer because, because once we do what, what we think God is trying to get us to do, or I don't have the fear, fear prayer in front of me, but I, I but I pray that I faith I pray that fear prayer and then I go at it doing what he's that he's called me to do for, for that moment. Um, and then the nighttime review I'm not good at. I've said this before, I have an app. Don't get that app if you're not going to do it because that app will tell you the last time you did one. Um, and so I am not good at that and I, I can admit that. I've talked to my sponsor about it because I complicate things and I could complicate that night, that nighttime review. you know. But I realize that nighttime review is like doing a step 10 with not a human but with your higher power because he's going to tell you where you've missed it throughout the day, you're going to see it. But then you ask him for corrections. So now he's going to tell you what to do, you know, to make those corrections. And so it, you, it, it, it's just, it's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful program, and that's what that's what I do. I'm not perfect with the nighttime review. I do my morning because if I'm not centered in the morning, my whole day is going to be off, and I do pause throughout the day. Sponsoring it kind of takes over. Talk to my sponsor, and then I get sleepy and go to bed. So I'm just being honest. So pray for me in that area.
1: Thanks, Abby B., for the question. Marilyn T., your turn. Star one to unmute.
7: Thank you, Leah. Thank you for moderating. Thank you, everyone, for being here. This is Marilyn T., Grateful Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. Oh, Leon, I just, what a God blessing you are to me today. I If I can even talk without crying. Um, You know, I think what's on my mind and on my heart right now is my son has um, relapsed on meth and it's just learning to stay on my own side of the street, learning to pray, learning to love him unconditionally and um, not um, enable him, learning to just work my program, recover, 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 Mm -hmm. Um, learning to do a fourth step on it, going over and over and over it, Um, but yet I still come back to it. So I just... I just need some words of wisdom on that, if you could, please,
2: so your question is is how to um be there for your son that's that's really how would on you work or? how
7: would you work this problem if it was you
2: if i had a well i got well, I have two sons that are that are not on math um but they are not doing what I want them to do, so i think it's 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 sort of similar. Yeah. and and I have learned that they are. I mean, honestly, if I don't focus on what's going on in my life, if I don't keep my side, and I have learned to totally be free. Let I used to try to control them in a way that is it was it was very poisonous how I tried to control them. And and I realize, and that's that's me trying to again, me being the actor that's trying to arrange people to do what I want them to do, you know. But it you know it, it tells us that you know that we create these the misery in our life by trying to. And I know in that situation, with your son, you you want the very best for him, and the only thing that you can do it in that moment, because there's nothing that you can do that's going to change what's going on with him. And so if you're a person of faith, you pray that resentment prayer. You pray and, and you ask God to bring him to a point where he hasn't hit rock bottom yet. It, it, it's still addiction, whether it's meth, whether it's gambling, whether it's sex, whether it's food. It's still an addiction, you know, and, and there is a place where he has to come to just like you came to. It's like we all came to where we said enough is enough. So if it takes one more bite or if it takes one more hit or it takes one more injection or it takes one more roll of the dice, whatever it's going to take. For him to to get to come to a place where he is he knows he's powerless and he needs to surrender and he knows he's lit just like Fred when he when he comes to that point that's all that that's all that you can pray for or you know, seek God about but you you have to keep yourself clear you 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 have to pray that resentment prayer and pray it every day you know that 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 he gets everything that you want. For yourself, you you that that prayer is awesome, you know. But he has to come to that point, you know. And I, I don't know a lot about Al-Anon, but I heard um, heard Harlan say this, you know, when someone else's recovery is more important to you than they are, that's the al stake, you know. And so uh, maybe that that could help as well. But you you you, you have to wait for him to you know, to to get to that point where he's had enough, just like you had enough, just like I had enough, and, and recovery will will be there for him. I'm
7: sorry,
1: that's
7: all
1: I mean. Thank, Thank you, you, Marilyn.
4: Yeah. Thank you. Lisa B. Star One to unmute. All right. Good morning. Thank you, Leon, for your sharing with us.
7: Um I think my uh you I have been very touched by um your sharing. And I wonder, do you have any experience with um May, forgiveness with people who have died.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Sure. I'm sorry. Um, he, yeah. My um my dad, who was a um, like I said, he was a pretty bad alcoholic, um, and he quit drinking when I left to, to go in the military when I was 18, and he quit drinking. At that time, and it was pretty much a dry drunk. He didn't do in doing twelve steps, and he died when I was in my second year of medical school. So I think this was around 2007. Um, and like I said, I didn't know him, and I still don't know him. And it hurts me to this day that I didn't get well, that he didn't spend the time with me to to get to know me. Um, and I carried around a lot of resentment, you know, because mm-hmm. I blamed, I blamed him for for not being there for me, for for not being the man that I needed to to show me how to treat a woman you know, to show me how, show me work ethic, you know, to show, I mean, it's just so many things I felt like I, that I missed. My mother tried to give me, but it, it wasn't enough. I always say to myself, if my dad would have told me to not do X, Y, and Z, if he would have said, you know, you're smart enough to be a doctor, I, I probably would have gone after all these things. But he he literally was drunk every day, you know. And so I hated him for, for a while with that. And how I made peace with him was really because of I learned um, in the steps, or I learned in the big book what, what the addiction was and what, the, what being an alcoholic was, was all about. And I realized that I'm carrying all this pain and frustration um, that, of what I did not have. And even though he's passed away, and I, I learned this in the program, that I did a step, uh, I put him on my step eight, and, and I wrote out a letter to him. Um, and I actually went to his grave site. I don't think he even told my sponsor about this. But anyway, I, I went to his grave site. It's up here in, in Maryland. And, um, and, and and I read it to him. And I felt so much peace after that. That's one way that you can do it. You just write out a letter, write out everything. And that's what I tell my sponsors. I have sponsors as well that have relatives that have passed away that they want to make amends to. They had a, had a resentment towards them. And they'll get it out, get it on paper, go sit, read it to them, or put a chair you know in front of you i've heard that you can you can sit down put a chair in front of you and read it as if that person is there so um those are the ways that i know of um, and i hope that helps
1: thanks lisa b for the question kathy Jo p your turn with a question
7: good morning kathy Jo p recovered compulsive in minneapolis thank you so much leon i look forward to Seeing you in the near future, you're just you speak with so much heart and so much honesty. I just am Thank blown you. away. Um, what I want to ask you is, you know, those calls we get where people call and they say, "I'm in the food, my life's a mess, I'm smoking, I'm not getting along with anyone, I think I'm going to get divorced." I'd love to hear in a nugget what you say to those calls. Thank you so much.
2: The first thing that I ask is, do they have a sponsor? You know, because I, I, do, I do get those calls where people are you know, suffering in the food, and, and they don't even know where to start. And, um, and so that is, do you have a sponsor? And they say no. I tell them to, to get one. I, I tell them exactly how to find one. And then I sort of, just like I shared on the phone, I, I share my experience. I mean, I would, I would really wish and hope that no one would have to go through 13 years of, of what I went through, but if it takes that, then, then so be it. But I always share what I had gone through. I say, and, 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 and I can do it pretty quickly. I'll just say, you know, I, I suffered in this program in and out of the rooms for many years, playing around with the steps, playing around with sponsors. I, I tell them when I got serious, when I ate so much, when I ate enough, when the pain became enough, when it, when it was real enough. This is what I did. And I just share a little snippet of my story. I point them in the, in the direction to get a sponsor, and I tell them, you can call me anytime. And I made that mistake. They call me, and they will call, you know, and I'm, I don't have a problem with it, you know. But um, I do put myself out there probably a, a, a bit too much to, to take calls. But, I mean, I, I just love this program, and I hate to see people suffering. Um, but that's pretty much it. Do you have a sponsor? Let me give you a snippet of what I did. In, in this situation, get, getting in the steps is going to help you to get out of the yourself and to get out of these situations that you're in. Can't say enough about that.
1: Thanks, Kathy Jo P. And our final question for the morning comes from Leslie
3: M.
8: Good morning. Thank you, Leah,
0: for your service, and Leon, thank you so much for your share. It was amazing. I do have a question. I was I, I was sponsored. Um, by reading line by line in the big book, and that's how I sponsor. But I'm always fascinated by the fact that other people, you know, and that for me took about three months. And but I'm always fascinated with the people that, um, you know, have gone through so much quicker. And I I could see how that would be a real help to p- some of the people that I that I have sponsored. Um, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that.
2: Sure. You know, I'm I'm always amazed if you read AA history, these people did. Those guys didn't play. I mean, it was like if you walk in a meeting, you were one, two, three, sit down, write your four, five, and six, come back tomorrow, let's do that. If you read about the history, these guys did not drag this stuff out. You know, if you were somewhat sober, if you were somewhat dried out, they got right into it. And I don't know where it's switched where you take so much time. And I've had sponsors drop me. I mean, literally say we are going way too fast. And I don't know any other way to to sponsor, and I feel like you have, we have to get you to this higher power. Otherwise, you are going to eat. You know, if you don't, have, if you don't deal with these emotions, if, you, if you're not dealing with what's driving you to eat, and the only way you're going to deal with that is to get into the work. For me, my sponsor, you know, he said this many times. He said, you are in a state of readiness. You know, and you were willing, and a monkey could have sponsored you. You know, literally, a monkey could have stood with a – I would have done anything. It could have stood with a pointer. It couldn't talk but would slap, read, read the doctor's opinion, and answer these questions, you know, and I would have done it. You know, and for me, I mean, that – I don't know. I was just – I was I was ready. You know, and I didn't know anything. Else. Not, I meet some people that are, that are dual addicted and they come over and I'm so glad that someone said they transfer, your, your credits don't transfer, you know, but they're like, hey, you're not doing it right. And they'll tell me you're not, you're not supposed to go so quickly. And I'm like, well, this is all I know. This is the reading assignment. You either do it you know, or you don't, you know, and if you need more than one day, hey, I, I get it. I mean, I, we all have lives and you're busy. And But for me, I was like, I need to try this. I had tried everything. And he said, read a chapter answer these questions, and I, and I probably didn't even answer these questions great. Now, now, that, now that I look back on it, I'm like, you probably thought, man, did you even read it? Because when I went back through it with my sponsee, I'm like, man, I totally missed that. And every time I go back through the, through the 12 steps with, with my sponsee, I always pick up something completely new. So, I mean, if I had it, I mean, it I'm telling you that the longer you take to work these steps, you run the risk of getting back into the food. The page 45 says, you know, the thesis of the big book is to get you to a power greater than you that can solve your problems, and you cannot do that if you're slowly, you know, well, well, well I shouldn't say that. I mean, I know that people have, have recovered over a long period of time. I'm saying for me, my job is to try to get you through these steps into this book so that you can get this um, spiritual experience, and, and that's my experience.
1: Thanks, Leslie M., for the question, and thanks to everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Leon, for carrying such a profound message of depth and weight, inspiring story this morning. Share ID 13,318, and we're going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled "Division vision for you.